Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. The grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with every one of us gathered here in this place. I want to encourage you, where you are, to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 135. Turn in your Bibles or turn on your devices to 135, Psalm 135. And as you're finding your way there, I want to make sure we welcome the rest of our church family who is in the Family Life Center, uh, opening up their word as we all open up our minds and hearts to see what good word God may have uh, for all of us here today. Before we begin, place your finger or your tab on that place in Psalm 135, and we're going to dive deeply into that text in a little while. But we begin with a word of prayer. Good and loving God, we, we pause for just a moment to, um, to somehow let our, our soul catch up to our, our bodies. For we are here, but it sometimes takes work to really be here. So as we breathe deeply and we open our hearts to you, we pray that your presence in this place would make all the difference. We pray that during this time of worship and specifically in this time of study that you would remove from the minds and from the shoulders of your worshipers any distractions or any burdens that keep any of us from fully and freely fixing our gaze upon you. Because everything hangs on this, Holy Father. We've come into this place from a broken world that keeps breaking. And we recognize that it needs some peacemakers in it. But we know that even our best strategies, O oh Lord, are not enough. It will require being transformed in mind and heart and body by the one who is the Prince of Peace. So we pray that you will be glorified even in this time of study. And all of the daughters and all of the sons of God said together with one voice, Amen. So, have you picked up your solar glasses yet? Yeah? Okay, good. Let's see. Show of hands, who has your glasses? Who have your glasses and are ready? Good. All right, keep them up in the FLC so I can see. Good. Not really, right? Listen, we have some glasses, and our staff, here's our plan. Tomorrow afternoon, we'll be here working. We're going to go outside and have a, a moon party. <laughs> staff, we're going to go outside together, some of us, and just bring some snacks, and we're going to all just go blind together, I guess. 
We're going to enjoy this very rare cosmic moment. Now, here is the deal. Let's just kind of cut the apple to the core. There's nothing that I can say about the eclipse that you don't already know. In fact, all of us, we have seen hundreds of, well, of reports and, and, and videos and, and blogs, top 10 things to do, top 10 things not to do. And we're ready, we think, for this big event tomorrow, but I will tell you that this week I came across this, this video about the eclipse, a three-minute little video that inside it had this clip a phrase that the guy dropped right in the middle of just explaining how it all works, that when he said it, it's almost as if that phrase reached out of the screen and grabbed me by the collar and said, you need to preach me. And I want you to hear that phrase. Don't listen too, too carefully, but I want you to, to watch this little three-minute segment, and I want to use it as a springboard into a deeper conversation about worship. Take a look. On August 21st, 2017, the shadow of the moon will pass from the west coast to the east coast of the U.S. Our blue sky will turn black as night and fill with stars, and there will be a hole in the sky where the sun used to be, surrounded by the fiery ring of the sun's corona, a total eclipse of the sun. This will truly be a historic event. Accounts of solar eclipses date way back in the written record. The early Mesopotamians wrote that the sun was put to shame during the solar eclipse of the 14th century BCE, and it may have started the sun worship of the Egyptian pharaoh Akhenaten. Ancient Chinese astrologers paid with their lives if they failed to predict a solar eclipse and portend the fate of their emperors whose symbol was the sun. The earliest date of a specific event in human history, a battle between the armies of Lydia and Media, occurred on May 28, 535 BCE when a solar eclipse caused the soldiers to lay down their arms and declare a truce. So, how does it happen? During a total solar eclipse, the moon moves between the Earth and the Sun. When this happens, the disk of the moon appears to perfectly cover the disk of the Sun, even though the Sun is much larger than the moon. But how is this possible? The Sun is 400 times bigger than the moon, but by sheer coincidence, the moon is 390 times closer to Earth. Size and distance cancel each other out, so that the moon and sun appear to be almost exactly the same size. Every time the moon orbits the Earth, once every 27.3 days, it has to pass between the Earth and the sun, a stage called the new moon phase. And, every time it passes, the new moon has a chance to block out the sun. Most of the time, the moon passes a little above or a little below the sun, but if they align perfectly, the shadow of the moon will make a narrow path across Earth, and those in the shadows will see a total solar eclipse. Just like on the night side of the Earth, the sky during a total eclipse is black and filled with stars. But, while the moon perfectly covers the surface of the sun, it doesn't block out the sun's outer atmosphere, its corona, which appears as a fiery ring around the dark disk of the moon. Solar eclipses occur several times a year, but most often they are partial eclipses, where the moon doesn't quite line up with the sun. And, when the moon and sun are perfectly aligned, the moon is usually too far from Earth in its orbit to completely cover the sun creating an annular eclipse. During an annular or partial eclipse, the sky remains bright. Even on those rare occasions of a total eclipse, the moon's shadow is most likely to fall on the 70% of Earth that is covered by water, and few people, if any, will see it. The eclipse of 2017 will be remarkable on a larger scale because the moon is slowly moving away from Earth. If a furry ancestor of ours had bothered to look up during a solar eclipse 100 million years ago, it wouldn't have seen the fiery corona of the sun. It would have just been dark. 
Eventually, the moon will have moved too far from Earth to completely cover the disk of the sun. It is only during our little wink of Earth's history that the moon is at just the right distance to cause a total solar eclipse, yet not block the sun's corona. So, on August 21st, 2017, when the moon exactly lines up with the sun and the moon is close enough to the Earth, its shadow will cross the U.S., and if you happen to be in its narrow path, you will witness one of the most awe-inspiring sights in the universe. Okay, if you'll stand for the benediction, we'll be dismissed. <laughs> Kidding. All right. So the most provocative moment in that very familiar info video put out by the good folks at, at TED Talks, right? was when he was talking about the relative size between the sun and the moon. That the sun is 400 times larger than the moon, but because the moon is 390 times closer to the earth than the sun, it gives the impression that it's just as big. The phrase that he used was size and distance cancel out each other. And it gives us the impression that the tiny moon is bigger than it really is. And this month, while we're talking about worship, I, I thought this is the parable for us. Because as we've been talking all month so far and for the rest of the month about worship, the series that we're in, Magnificent Obsession, as we've been talking about this this true character of Christian worship, you and I have already settled some things that we believe, and, and, and the first is this, that there is nothing in this universe more glorious or grand or beautiful or lovely or worth our, our highest allegiance or attention than the Lord our God. Nothing more powerful, nothing more compelling, nothing more life-giving and energizing. But the truth of the matter is there are moments in our lives and experiences in our lives, pursuits in our lives that sometimes are so close to us that the sheer proximity we have to these urgent, urgent things gives us the impression that it's as important or as significant or as magnificent as the one true source of all life, which provokes an interesting question in my own soul this week, and I hope it does for you. What is it in your life right now that has eclipsed the radiance of God? What has gotten in the way? What has gotten between you and the one true source of all life, love, redemption, and transformation? But it, because in, until we are somehow able to identify the thing that is between us, our soul remains in this kind of shadowed place in which the very thing that we need the most and hunger and thirst for the most can't be seen, even temporarily, because our attention and our energy and our focus is on something that is truly nowhere as life-giving. Until we answer that question, until we somehow learn how to recognize the thing that gets between us and the source of us, that we will never really experience the power of authentic worship. Because what we've said about worship is that worship at the very heart of it is being able to put your, your mind's unfettered attention and your heart's 
uncompromised affection upon the Lord. Glorifying the Lord in all of His beauty and getting to the place where we simply soak in the radiance of the one who loves us the most until we learn what are the things that get between us and, and, and draw our attention away from him, we will never truly encounter him. And it's almost like the words of Jesus in Matthew's gospel when Jesus said, look, these, these people, they, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That means no matter what we do here on a Sunday morning, no matter how wonderful the music is, and by the way, today it was on point. No matter how wonderful it was today, and, and the preacher could even be spitting pearls up here. Though that, I know that never happens, but when it could happen, but no matter how good it happens to be, it will not mean a thing. It will all be tripe if our mind's attention and heart's affection is fixed upon something, some, some, some moon rather than the sun. Right? And this is important for us to know because these are high stakes. What we're talking about, these are very high stakes because whatever it is that has captured the mind's attention and the heart's affection, whatever it is that has captivated the gaze, of our soul will become the object of our worship. Whatever captivates the gaze of our soul becomes the object of our worship because when we pour that much of us into a thing, well, we make little, little gods out of them. And I know it doesn't sound like that's possible. I, I know you're, you're saying, oh, gosh, if I focus on my job, does that mean I'm making my job my God? I'm not making my God uh, out of, I'm not making a God out of my, my hobbies or my pursuit or my career. I just, I'm, I'm focusing my attention. Yeah, I get it. I get it. But gone unexamined, it is possible for us to put so much of our fixed attention upon lesser moons that fall into our orbit that we never get past them to gaze upon the one who gives life. We make little gods, little gods of many moons. You see, we, we've been doing that a long time, though. We've been really good for a long time at make little, making little gods out of tiny, insignificant bodies. That's what this text is all about. In fact, I want you to read with me. It'll be on the screen, and I hope it's in your hands in some form or fashion. From Psalm 135, we begin reading in verse 15. Listen to these words. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They, they have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. And there is no breath in their mouths. Those who make them and all who trust them shall become like them. The first verse is the most telling, isn't it? We make gods of human hands. We can construct and fashion out of our own design those objects of our worship that we pour our highest esteem into. 
I think it was Albert Einstein, wasn't it, who, who said, God created humankind in God's own image. And then we turned around and returned the favor. And we create little gods in our own image all the time. But the ancient wisdom rises up to speak to us. And this is what the ancients say. Every god that we construct, every tiny moon that falls into our orbits, even though it's the only thing we can see, even though it puts a shadow over everything in our life, every god that we create, well, they have mouths, but they can't speak. And he begins in a beautiful way in this text to set up a kind of juxtaposition between every false god and the one true god. Because the ancients would have us to believe that God has a mouth. The one true God has a mouth and has the capacity to speak. And this God speaks life. <laughs> and says things like, let there be. And there is. The one true God, the source of all life, is one who speaks words of comfort when we are afflicted, speaks words to those who are isolated and says to them, Beloved, 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 in you I am well pleased. This God has a mouth that speaks words of reconciliation and transformation and hope and forgiveness. This is the God who whispers to us when we are afraid, let not your hearts be troubled and neither let them be afraid. But the ancients say every God that we design, every tiny moon that falls into our orbit, well, that may have a mouth, but it can't do with it what our God does. Because our God also has eyes. Our God has the capacity to see. And when I say see, I don't just mean see, I mean see. In the way that 1 Samuel means see, that human beings look on the outward appearance of people, but God looks upon the heart. Our God has the capacity to look past everything that you put forth as your public persona. And as confident as you are and successful as you may be, as beautiful as you may be, strong as you are, God has the capacity to see past all of it into the one or two places in your heart where you are scared to death, alone, into the corners of your life where you may have lodged in there a hidden secret sin even. This God sees, but the ancient says every God that we construct out of human hands, every small moon that falls into our orbit, it may have eyes, but it can't see like God sees. It says our God has ears. Our God has ears because we are told, according to the story of Exodus, that great narrative of liberation when the people were suffering under bondage in Egypt, that the cries of the children made their way up to the ears of our Lord. Our God's ears are tuned to the cries of the oppressed. Our God hears the cries of those who aren't in the center of the power systems of the world, but who are on the outskirts of them. That means when nobody hears you, God can hear you. And the flip side of that is, when we don't hear the cries outside on the margin, God still hears them. 
But the ancient says every God that we create out of human hands, every small moon that falls into our orbit, eclipsing the glory and radiance of God, it doesn't have the capacity. It may have ears, but it can't hear like that. But maybe the most haunting verse in this whole passage that we read comes in verse number 18. Those who make these gods, those who make them, and all who trust them shall become like them oh man oh man 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 do you realize that whatever it is that captivates the gaze of your soul whatever it is that has become the object of your worship that is the very thing that you are slowly but surely becoming more like in other words we become what we worship whether we worship a career, a pursuit, a success, materialism, whether we pursue uh, and, and worship ego or an image or some kind of uh, glamour, or even if we worship worry. Did you know that we could worship worry? We can worship anxiety, drama. You know that sometimes the moon of drama uh, comes into our sky and we get fixed upon playing the victim, being dramatic, Woe is me, worry, worry, worry. And whatever we fix our gaze upon, if that's all that we think about and pour our lives into, we can become worry. You become what you worship. And the ancients would say, and I gotta tell you, and I'll just break in and tell you, if you want evidence, if you want evidence that we become what we worship, then all I ask you to do today is recognize all around us in this world what we are becoming. Because we are becoming people who have mouths, but guess what? Nobody is speaking peace. We have mouths, but we speak only words that tear down and destroy rather than build up. Because we worship gods that have mouths and cannot speak good things. You look around and you'll recognize that we are becoming those who have eyes but cannot see. We, we can't see past skin color to see the value and dignity of another. We can't see past ethnicity. We can't even see past religious affiliation because we worship gods that are blind to the beauty of all those things. We too, like the ancient little idols that you and I would scoff, oh, who in the world would worship little gold and silver idols? But whatever gods you and I worship are resulting in a transformation in us because we are becoming people that have ears and cannot hear. I don't want to hear what you have to say. I'm just waiting for you to take a breath and put a comma in your argument so I can fill the void with my own noise. This is the evidence that we are worshiping little tiny puny gods because we are becoming what we worship. G.K. Beale said these words, what we revere, we will resemble, whether for our ruin or our restoration. <laughs> what we revere, we will resemble. The question is, what do you revere? N.T. Wright, 
maybe puts it more eloquently than, than any I've heard. This is what N.T. Wright says about worship. When we gaze in awe and admiration at someone or something, we begin to take on something of the character of the, worship, or the object of our worship. When we gaze and wonder in awe at someone or something, we begin to take on something of the character of the thing that is the object of our worship. Do you remember Hans the tailor? Hans the tailor was the finest tailor in all the country. No one could create a suit of clothes like Hans the tailor. One day, a successful businessman came to town, and he wanted to have a suit of clothes made by Hans the tailor because he was the best. On the bus, on the way in, he had a conversation with a man. Do you know where I can find Hans the tailor? Oh, you're going to have a suit made? Yeah, I hear he's great. Oh, yes, none are finer than Hans. Get off the bus, go three blocks down, turn right. He's on the corner. You're going to love him. He gets off the bus, goes three down, turns right. He's on the corner. Hans comes out and he fits him for a suit of clothes. He gives him a couple of days for Hans to work on the suit, and so he shows up two days later, and he tries the suit on. But then the most curious thing takes place. He puts the pants on, and like one leg is like four inches shorter than the other. He puts the, the jacket on, and one shoulder is bulging up on one end, and the other was kind of caved in on the other. His left sleeve is turned outward in the opposite direction. His right sleeve is askew, and yet he does everything he can to fit into the suit that he knows he's going to pay high dollar for, so he's contorts and twists and bends his body and he makes sure that he fits into the suit that strangely enough looks odd in the mirror he pays the man and walks out he gets on the bus to go home and another man from the city comes and said hey that wouldn't be a suit made by hans the tailor would it and the businessman said why yes it is i just picked it up you like it? And the man said, oh, fantastic. He said, I knew that Hans was really good, but I had no idea that he was so good that he could perfectly tailor a suit of clothes to fit someone as deformed as you. Right? <laughs> you and I have the propensity, the, the possibility, the tendency. We are prone to contort our lives into the shape of whatever it is that we value most in this life. We will. And the Apostle Paul says, don't. Don't do that. In Romans 12, 1 through 2, these are his words. Paul says, do not be conformed. Do not be, you might even say, distorted, maladjusted, contorted do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that what you may discern so that you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect we do make small gods 
We pour out our passion in the thing that we has the thing that we think has highest premium or value. We see these moons come into orbit, and because of the proximity, because size cancels out distance, because they're so close to us, we fix our eyes only on what's immediate, and we pour our lives out and then get shaped by the tiny gods that we worship. And Paul says, this is why you should come to worship. Because do you know that in worship, what we are up to is the transformation of the mind. In worship, when we gather here every week to lift high the one who has a name that is above every name, when we gather here to fix our gaze upon the one who is greater and more lovely and beautiful and transforming than anything in the universe, when we do that, we want you to bring your brains. At Johns Creek, we don't, we don't ask you to check your mind at the door. You bring in your brains, your mind, and we... We are a thinking people just like we are a feeling people. But why? Not because we have all the answers, but because in the context of worship, we surrender our mind to the mind of Christ so that Christ may teach us how to speak words of grace, so that Christ may teach us how to see a kingdom not made with hands, so that Christ may be able to teach us how to listen not only to one another, but to the holy who is in one another. It's called the transformation of the mind because when we come to worship, what we're doing here is not just a song and dance, you know. What we're up to here is the creation of the world. We are here to imagine the world, this world, not the world hereafter, but this one as God desires it to be. And as we get little glimpses of what that looks like from Holy Scripture, from ancient stories, from beautiful songs, then our minds begin to transform bit by bit to the mind of Christ. So we'll come in and we'll hear uh, passages like this from Galatians. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And after a week like we've just had, man, that's what we call gospel. Because the reality is you and I come into this place so that we begin to see one another in all the diversity of the world as expressions of God's glory rather than threats to our control. Is anybody hearing me? Yeah, yeah. So we come into this place, and let's just be candid, if we can, for a moment. We come into this place, and, and everyone who I know at Johns Creek Baptist Church was disturbed to the core about what we saw in Charlottesville. Every one of us. And so you bring into worship all those thoughts. You bring into worship the deep abiding belief that white supremacy is not only a lie, but a sin. And has not only no place in the Lord's church, but is actually the opposite of the good news of Jesus Christ. So you bring into this place some, maybe some angst over how you feel or what you think about what we saw in Charlottesville. But can I just get real for just a moment? That's not all you bring into this place. 
That's not all I bring into this place because you know what else we bring into this place? We bring into this place not just what we saw in Charlottesville, but we are thinking about what Trump said about Charlottesville, but we're not just thinking about that. We're thinking about what CNN said about what Trump said about Charlottesville, and we're thinking about what Fox News said about CNN saying something about Trump, saying something about Charlottesville, and then we think about what NBC is saying that Fox isn't saying that NBC is saying, and the CNN, and round and round we go. And not to mention everything that you hear at the barbershop, everything you hear over coffee, or everything that you hear when you look in your own mirror and reconfirm to yourself what you've always believed and have always known. And we come into this place shaped by all those things. And if we're not careful, we'll have these thousand moons come into the orbit of our consciousness and we'll fix our gaze and and all of them. Fox News, CNN, NBC, they're all little moons. You know what a moon does? Moons don't have any life-giving light or energy. They only reflect light and life and energy from the one true source of all those things. Yet you and I come in here and shaped by all of that, we bring our mind to surrender it before the mind of Christ so that we are transformed to think not as advocates for whatever political affiliation we have, not for whatever tradition we're from, not from whatever media outlet is our favorite or least favorite. We come and yield ourselves to be shaped by the one who has authority to be called Lord and Christ. Yeah, yeah. So we come and we hear passages like this. Besides all this, you know what time it is. That's what worship does every week. It's a wake-up call. You know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone. The day is near. Do you hear the eclipse language? The night is gone. The day is here. It continues, Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day. So when we come to worship, if you hear nothing else, hear this. This is what we do when we come to worship. We come and gather in silence and in patience and in humility before the one true light of the world. And we wait for whatever tiny moons we've brought with us to simply pass out of sight that we may bask in the radiance of the one who transforms us. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. God, in this moment, we recognize that you are here and among us not because we do anything to conjure you up, but because that's the kind of God you are. You are near, so near that most of the time we even miss it. We miss how close you are because our mind's attention and heart's affection can be fixed upon lesser gods, the idols of our own making. And we ask that in this moment you show us 
how to stop doing that. Show us in this moment what it looks like to not be conformed to the world, but transformed by your redeeming love. Show us what that looks like. And as we sing and as we pray, we pour out from the depths of who we are our truest hunger and thirst for you. Lord, transform us now. Your people are listening. In Christ's name, amen.